Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of The Artenders with Mac and Dan. I am Dan, he is Mac. Hi! And we have returned to uh, maybe a more professional setting, but that's okay, because (laughs) we're we're, we're getting ourselves back in form, because last time we did a very wacky, zany, insane episode uh, looking at one and a half episodes of Phineas and Ferb with uh, two friends of ours, Izzy and Hannah. Uh, please check that out. Uh, just know what you're getting yourself oh, yeah. into. We, think about it like this. We decided that we needed to do at least one decent show this week. Yeah. Because we put out a practically fictional yeah. show. It was absolutely insane. Also, just in case if they canceled on us again, which, which we right. were expecting 100%. But... Luckily, that that didn't happen. Yeah. And we're still recording this episode. Yes. On season three of The Wire, this show that is on HBO, or at least it was on HBO. It was premiered on HBO, I should say. Uh, And you can still watch it on HBO Max. This season came out in 2004, and I want to get out off the bat in the front end that this season is absolutely incredible. Like, it does... Everything that season one does in terms of storytelling and pacing and what it's trying to say with the story and more. And the show really hit its stride again. Season two was weaker in comparison, but I mean, season two was still the quality that this show delivers, but to a lesser extent. While here, back in season three, once again, the show hit its stride, and it was back in form. Uh, Mac, what were, what were your first impressions? I was gonna, about to use the exact same phrase, back in form. It's absolutely the wire that I remember seeing in season one yes. that was lacking in season two. And I think it's really, for me at least, it boils down to a matter of present conflict. There was very present conflict in every single scene of season one. I, I, I would say at least the second half of the season. Yeah. Season two, it lacked. There was... Uh, present conflict, especially in the um, uh, Tsubatka stuff. Right. But there there wasn't always conflict. With this, scene, with this season, we got back to constant, looming conflict. Not a conflict yeah. that you just, like, watch and is important for the next couple seconds, but a conflict that will carry you throughout the entire episode, that you will actually, that will occupy your brain space, which is fantastic. And it's conflict that I feel is more personal for most of the characters, right? As opposed to the second season. Yeah. It felt like a lot of the conflict was kind of personal for, like, half the characters. Yes. Right? While this... This is a sort of investment that's been boiled down, boiling since season one, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, especially for McNulty, for Kima, uh, for for uh, Lance Reddick's character, Cedric Daniels. It's it's the whole pot and caboodle with this season. And they really go back into having uh, the Barksdale investigation, yeah, right. right? And have that be the... A focal point yeah. of this season's storytelling as well as this season's uh, sort of objective yeah. and target for a lot of these characters, regardless of what side they were, regardless of whether they were the detectives or whether they were part of a drug operation. But there was this sort of 
sun, the star in the center that everything was orbiting around. Yeah. And that was the Barksdale investigation, as opposed to the second season where it felt like it was trying to tell two different stories at once. Yeah. Uh, another huge one is that in season one, we're given all of these awesome, very deep and complex characters. Yes. And in season two, there was almost no payoff to any of those characters and no change. No one really changed in season two. And in season three, we saw a lot of change, serious change. Really, in my mind, the only thing that happened in terms of change to main characters in season two, and correct me if I'm wrong, because I, I have been actually thinking about this, the only thing you need from season two to get from season one to season three is Prop Joe and Stringer Bell team up. Essentially, yeah. Like, season two is really, really important for season three uh, in the sense of Stringer Bell, in yeah. the sense of Idris Elba's character. Which it, can be condensed to, like, ten minutes. Right. I mean, but which is fine because, I mean, like, like we said, season two is still pretty good. But what is nice... Now, yeah. is that because they did that, and we were, or at least, I, sh I shouldn't say we, at least I was sort of criticizing where the se season two was telling two different stories at once. And I did kind of want them to sort of pick a lane because if you just pick one lane, then you can tell that one story really well. It's hard to tell two different stories really well. However, because they picked two lanes, because they picked the Sabatka story and because they still wanted to maintained the story that was going on with Barksdale and crew. It allowed you to see a Stringer Bell that was important that ended up being in season three, right? So a big major conflict, which you could see a mile mile away, but it's it was still fascinating to watch, was the conflict between Stringer Bell and Avon Barksdale. Yeah. The two head honchos of that Barksdale drug operation. Where essentially, they they sort of there's two sides of the same coin. Yeah. Um, but they help each other and they grew that organization together. And once Avon Barksdale, he went to jail. Once that happened for those two years or so in the show's time, and Stringer was allowed to sit back, lounge back, put his feet up on the ottoman. That's when already everything was starting to bubble underneath. And so when Avon comes back and is all about, uh, we need to get the corners back. We need to get the territory back. Stringer, Stringer's like, we are beyond that, man. Yeah, yeah. And so immediately, immediately, there's this intense conflict between the two of them that starts happening. But because it was honestly really well set up in season two. Like I said, I know I was criticizing season two for telling the two stories. But that it, those two things, me criticizing season two for the two stories, as well as praising it for telling Stringer Bell's side, those two things don't have to be mutually exclusive. Yeah. And I think they told the Stringer Bell side really well because of how much it sort of trampolined into this season. Yeah, 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 absolutely. The, the um, I agree with you that they definitely uh, didn't do a great job of telling both stories, but I actually don't have a problem with them telling both stories. Just like you said, it is hard, but I'm only okay with you telling two stories if you keep the ball rolling yes. with the with, with Avon, with uh, Stringer Bell, with, and especially with the cops. Yeah. We got absolutely fucking no cop progression in season two whatsoever. I like I didn't really get anything from the cops, which was 
sad because those are the people that you spend so much time with, especially in season three. So you you got a little bit of McNulty, but like if this show had a protagonist, it would be McNulty. So it doesn't really work right that well. You know, the the, a lot of those characters don't really change except for maybe Kima. And we'll and we'll get Right, and we will but get then back in season to season three. Yes, happens. we will get back to McNulty and Kima uh, in a moment. But just like you said, they really did pave an awesome road for themselves. Whenever Avon came back, I'm actually going to go ahead and dip into my gold medal right yes. now. Yes, my gold medal, and I think it might be corny because the, once I started to look after I finished season three and I started looking up season three, it seems like this is a very popular opinion. But I'm just going to say it anyway. Best scene of the show so far. Yeah. Whole show, whole series so far. Mm-hmm. Avon and Stringer Bell. Avon is talking to him. Do you know what I'm about to say? I think so. I think yeah. so. I'm excited. I'm excited. Avon's talking to him exactly like you were talking about. About, all right, like, here's the plan. We're like, uh, we need to, like, take back our corners, all this stuff. And then Stringer Bell is like, no, 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 no. We need to start buying up. We need to yeah. start, like, creating a business. We're bigger than this. It's growing a lot like, more. We're not dreaming anymore. Yeah, right, 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 right. We are and, living yeah. in this like now. We, and, and, like, like, we are businessmen. And Avon yeah. is like, well, you might be a businessman, but I was just born to be a gangster. Yeah. That was so sick. I and, was like, But there was oh something, like, God, terribly, was... like, honest yeah. about that, too. Oh, my God, yeah. Because in so many ways that... That Avon Barksdale, Wood Harris's character, is this sort of he represents the past, right? Yeah, yeah. Where he represent and he's constantly bringing up, hey, remember how this guy took care of this situation twenty years ago, or this other guy took care of this t- situation, yeah. and how they were able to intimidate uh, these people in this territory. There's so much of that through that character, and it was this beautiful juxtaposition with Stringer Bell. That Stringer Bell was this sort of new school. Of business for this crew, but it yeah because of that foil, it just gave itself beautifully to this dynamic. That of course they work really well together. Yes, and when they aren't working together, something something bad is about to happen. Like the straw is about to break that camel's back right. any second. Right, and and um, you're talking about uh, um, you're talking about how Avon was representative of the past. And how that was something that was an awesome, awesome uh, conflict point between Avon and Stringer Bell. But they were even setting us up for that the entire season. Because they introduced us to a whole new character that I loved, by the way. Cuddy. Oh my god! Cuddy's so good. That's my gold medal. I don't blame you, man. Chad L. Coleman's Cuddy. Unbelievable. Was an excellent introduction into the series. Please get into why he's an excellent, excellent introduction. Oh, my God. (laughs) Well, clearly, just like you said, he deserves the gold medal because he is, uh, in my opinion, and I think you'll agree with me, the best actor of this season. Yes. For sure. Yes. Um, And maybe, I'm looking at the cast list right now, also maybe up there with the best written character. Yes, this season. Up I there. agree. Up I there. Agree. Um, for sure, he was given a lot. Um, although, so, although I was excited that Omar got to go through a couple more things than he did last season. Like he he got quite a bit more, which was yeah. good because I lo- obviously he was fantastic first yeah. season. I mean, we saw so like many more boy. characters this season yeah. struggle. Yes, and that was that was the difference. That was the difference, right? Where we don't necessarily need to get a lot of that in the first season because we're still trying to get to know everybody, yeah. right? And you know, we still had a fair share of that in the first yeah. season. And then second season comes along, kind of splits it in half. And then the third season comes back. Dude, almost 
everybody is struggling one way or another, and a lot of them with their own demons. And it just provides excellent, excellent storytelling and character and fleshes them out to a T. Yes, I I literally wrote down in my notes, I said, everyone is making more mistakes. Yes. It's not just that they are confronted with more problems. It is that in the menial things, they are also getting all of those wrong too. Every single time, like the first couple episodes are just dedicated to people fucking up their jobs. And yes. it, like, and once the, 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 the lower people start fucking up their jobs, then the people on the next level above them start doing the same. And it, and it goes all the way up the chain. You know what I mean? Yes. And it was interesting because so far it's just been a matter of like we're following the little guys, and then we just kind of have to wait for the for the big head honchos to trickle down into the into the lower parts. But it was cool to see how that was only really in terms of big decision making. In terms of fucking up and making mistakes, it's the opposite. Mm-hmm. It starts at the bottom, and then and then works its way up to the top. And it was really cool to watch that. Yeah. But back to um, Cuddy, he literally is the past. Yes. Right? He shows up. He hasn't been around in a minute. And the in like the entire time that he is getting uh, reinitiated or whatever, right. if you will, um, back into Avon Barksdale's operation. Right. He won't stop making comments about, "Damn, this is not how we used to do it." And man, yeah. like this isn't like the old days. Like, and, <laughs> oh, this is a semi-automatic pistol. I'm used to a revolver. Yeah. <laughs> like something <laughs> right. as simple right, as right, that. Right. But it's this. I mean, the the present. And in many ways, the future to him hits him like a truck because he was in prison for 14 years. Right, right. And so when he gets out and the first thing he wants to do is live a normal life, it's it's a beautiful commentary that the show also does that. Yeah, because he tries. He tries. He really does. It's not necessarily like people need to give him handouts. No, it's just, I mean, he's not getting assistance anywhere to the point where it's easier for him to do the wrong thing than it is to do the right thing. And that's the issue that the the show is pointing out. Exactly. So naturally, he goes back to the drug operation and figures out very quickly when he is looking one of uh, Marlo's men. Marlo is another drug kingpin uh, that's at play in Baltimore that uh, is constantly also butting heads with Avon in regards to territory. When he is looking at one of Marlo's lieutenants... With the pistol in his hand, about to gun him down, yeah. it's like in that moment something breaks. Yeah. And you see that, and you see that in the writing, and you see that in the acting, and you see that in how the scene is shot. And so something in him breaks, and so then you get to see him go back on this journey to like find himself again. Yeah. And that is a huge thing thematically mm-hmm. that happens in this season where it's a lot of people trying to find themselves. Yeah. And 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 exactly what you're talking about with Cuddy, it all wraps back to that one line, that one moment with Avon and Stringer when Avon looks at him and says, you know, you're talking about being a businessman. I'm not cut out to be a businessman. I'm cut out to be the gangster. And that is... And in that moment, something broke. Yes, absolutely. And also... That's exactly what Cuddy was talking about. That's exactly what was happening with him, right? Where he, yeah. where he was trying to be a decent guy, but you realize in 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 the moment that um, Cuddy goes back um, to 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 the gang, and in in the, in the minute that Avon is talking to Stringer, they didn't choose this necessarily. Yeah, this was given to them. This is the easiest version of life they could possibly live. 
is the one that they are living right now, just like you said. Cuddy is like a different retelling of D'Angelo's sort of story in season one, where they realize in the middle of it, when everything is going off around them, they realize the mortality Yes. Of the situation. Yes. And they oh, realize that. Yeah. in that moment, oh my God, like, I truly only have this one life. And these kids are, kids, kids are dying because somebody wants a corner. Yeah. Like, and there's something that both D'Angelo in season one and Cuddy in season three kind of realize. Uh, D'Angelo sort of explicitly stated, but what I love about Cuddy's story is that nothing... Nothing is really told about him, but everything is so clearly portrayed where he realizes, yeah, this is, this is not for me anymore. I value the living, Yeah, you know, and, and another, one of the things that resonated with me a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot about this season, uh, which it was the case in season one and it was the case in season two, but this time it was exemplified is this idea of the cycle. I brought it up in season one, how everything went back to normal when they arrested Avon and everybody. Everything just went back to normal. Everything was on a cycle. Same thing at the end of season two. Everything was a little bit broken, right? The the cycle had some wrinkles in it, but the cycle maintained. That circle at the end of the day was still a circle, right? Yeah. And then you have in season three, it felt like so much more people who were trying to break that cycle. Yeah. One way or another. And you can look at it with so many of so many characters. I mean, if if we want to keep talking about Cuddy, like Cuddy is one example of later on in the season, he opens his own boxing gym. Yeah. And tries to break the cycle of kids, of young kids like himself back in the day, getting involved in this cutthroat, literally, operation. Yeah. And he's trying to save those kids. And then you also have Bunny. People, Bunny, Bunny, thank you. Mac, could you explain what Bunny does in this season when he tries to break the cycle? And like I said, this goes for so many of the characters in this show. Yes, 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 yes. And it is beautiful. But this is the one that... Because it makes the stakes so much high when they try to do something different. Yes, but but just like... um... Just like we were talking, I mean, same with season one, same with season two, and again, also season three. Uh, there's always one character that isn't one of the, I, I hate to say it like this, yeah. the, the repertory players <laughs> of, of the yeah. show. Yeah, the yeah, ones yeah. that are consistent. That, that, are, yeah. that they're mainly here for this season, right? Yes. Um, and Bunny, I think, is one of those. Yeah. One of those that he's mainly in this season. He wasn't really here before. I can't imagine he's going to be an immensely big character afterwards. Immensely big, I know, is redundant, but whatever. But Major Bunny Colvin. Major Bunny Colvin. Um, a district commander of the, the West Side. So the, the the first couple episodes, him and all of the other majors, all the other uh, higher-ups in um, the police force are being just reamed constantly, day in and day out, by their boss talking about how uh, they need to keep murders and down. by Burrell. Yeah, talking about how they need to keep numbers down. They promised a certain amount of numbers of murders to the mayor. They said, we're not going to have this many murders this year. And the mayor said, okay, sweet, as long as I can press, uh, I can push that number to the press. And that's, you can't do that. That's, that's suicide as, as, a, as a cop. You can't predict the number of murders you're going to have because yeah. you have no fucking clue. Yeah. Especially in Baltimore where it's This increasing. is a minority report. You can't, 
You can't, you know, do thought crimes. You can't prevent right. Right. murder. Especially per se. whenever the, the past couple of years they have been on a steep incline of murders, right? Yeah. And so all of the all of the majors, all of the commanders, all, all, all of them are pretty much like, okay, well, let's we might as well give up. Who fucking cares? Like we're just gonna like either either flub on the numbers or just say, whoops, sorry, and move or, on. Or like put some guys on overtime, hopefully that'll help. Yeah, see what happens. Bunny decides, just like you were talking about. This is what happens every time. Fuck it. I'm done with it. We're, we're changing everything. Yeah. We're going to do something totally different in my district. And he breaks the cycle in his own way. So his own way is that he is going to... Because he realizes that all of the murders really link back to the drug deals. He's going to legalize drugs. But only on three streets. Yeah, on these designated zones, he calls them. And so so he takes all of his cops and and all of his detectives, they walk down to all the corners in which the people are dealing drugs, and they they talk to them directly. They say, okay, I know you're not doing dealing drugs or whatever, but if you're going to deal drugs, do it on these streets, and we'll leave you alone. They straight up say that. And no matter what he does, it's interesting, like you were talking about, no matter what he does to break the cycle... No one's willing to let them yeah. break the cycle. So much so to the point where the detectives are telling them, the detectives are telling all of the drug dealers that they are that they can legally sell drugs yeah. on these specific streets. And all of the dealers are like, no, we're not going to do that. And they're like, why not? We're g- you don't have to go to fucking jail and you can keep selling fucking drugs, dude. And they're like, it's bec- they're like why don't you go back to chasing us and we'll go back to doing what we do. Like what like don't mess with what we already have. Just yeah. keep life the way it is. Like no matter what he says, no matter what he does, yeah. the drug dealers are like Because These he's are my doing corners. all this to get those corners to be back to being safe. Yes. Again, to have just people yeah. come out and just live. Because his main problem is not necessarily just the the people that are dying in the gangs. It's that all this gang violence is happening in neighborhoods with random pedestrians. Yeah. And people are getting shot left and right whenever they don't have to. And they're it's not involved in gangs damage. at all. Yeah. Exactly. Collateral damage. And so he was, he was like, okay, maybe I can't decrease the murders, but how can I take the murders to a place that it won't affect as many civilians? And he, and he picks these two streets and tries to push them there. And I think, well, that, that although, of course, that's the part of the show where you're like, uh, would that happen in real life? I don't know. Yeah. It probably couldn't do that. But very worth it, I think. That was one of my favorite parts of the entire season. What this season does differently is that it asks you, the viewer, much more questions in comparison to the first and the second season. So in yeah. the case of Bunny's experiment, and he calls it an experiment... Um, it really has you ask yourself, what is justice? Yeah. Right? Because, I mean, all you're seeing, too, is that with Rawls and with Burrell and how they're talking down to all these majors, you got to get these numbers down, right? Yeah. Um, you see oh. with so much more, like, that's the priority, right? The priority is not keeping people safe. It's that this is going to look bad in the press, you know, yeah, and it's like, yeah. that's, that's the priority. But then, so Bunny does this experiment and <laughs> where he, yeah, makes these drugs legal and it actually sets up for this really nice but sad sort of scene at the very end. Very, very end. With Last bubbles, scene bubs. of the show with yeah. Bunny and Bubbles. And so Bunny 
uh, says to Bubbles, it was a good thing, huh? And then Bubbles just says, I'm just saying, you know, like yeah. in response to Bubbles saying, um, you know, anybody can go here, a fiend can go here, get some drugs, and everybody will leave him be. And then Bunny was like, is that a good thing? And then Bunny Bubbles was just like, I'm just saying, because is it a good thing? Yeah. When nobody is stopping right. the drug fiend from being a drug fiend? Yeah. When nobody is stopping that person from to be blunt, like harming themselves yeah. mentally and, and physically yeah. when we see one of Bubbles' friends actually die because of how hard he was going because he was allowed to go so hard. Like, was it actually worth it? Was it actually worth it? Yeah, to, to, to maybe have those corners and to have those people come out, but you're selling your soul a little bit, aren't you? Yeah. It's... It's a very similar question that it's actually a play that you've done. I think we've talked about it on the show before. It's a play called The Nether. Oh, man. And conceptually, what happens in The Nether is there's a sort of like virtual reality where they'll essentially send criminals there, but they'll send criminals to this virtual reality not to sort of uh, aid them, but to indulge their desires. Yeah. And so one character in this show is a pedophile. And when I say show, I mean the play, the nephew. Yeah. One, one of those characters. <laughs> not not the wire. <laughs> one of those characters is a pedophile. Uh-huh. And so it, it makes you ask the really hard question. Well, this pedophile, because he's in this VR setting, he's not hurting anybody. Yeah. But is this right? Like, yeah. is this what we should be doing? Um. And so The Wire Season 3 asks a very similar question where, okay, people are now allowed to come out into these corners, but is this what we should be doing? Like, this isn't actually solving anything. This is putting a bandage over a bleeding wound, Yeah. right? Where it's it's a good stopgap for the time being, um, but at the end of the day, like, these people are still consuming drugs and damaging their bodies and their minds there are still these criminals who are getting paid left and right mind you also the system doesn't really help them we see that in Cuddy's situation so it's so much easier for them to just be uh drug dealers anyways and then the cops just let it all happen right right in front of them like what and and then and then when you go up to the top, when you go up to Rawls and you go up to Burrell, all they're talking about is numbers. And then you go up farther than that to the mayor and to other politicians and councilmen that the, all they're talking about is the elections, is numbers, is numbers, is numbers. That it's actually really weird when you have Aiden Gillen's character, uh, Tommy Carchetti, and he's actually talking about like, him wanting things to get better but there's this part in me where i'm just like i don't believe you yeah like maybe you're maybe you're telling the truth uh and it, it can be both things right that he can focus 100 percent or like 95 percent on the numbers and trying to get elected and also really care about the safety on the streets but i i'm i'm, I'm also like i don't believe you when you're saying like that's what you value right, right. now because from what i can see at least there and then everything going down is corrupted one way or another right, right, right. by someone or something or some desire. And you were you were talking okay, so you were talking about the I said a lot. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I'm gonna I'm gonna go back to the first the first two thirds. Um 
you're talking about the nether, you're talking about um, that, that whole dilemma that you're faced with. And it reminds me of, in teaching, you're faced with this every single day, and we talk about it a bunch, right? It's, it's, it's a huge question in training, and it's basically this. You're teaching a class. Everyone in the class, you're teaching 30 kids, let's say. Yeah. 29 of the kids are understanding. They're keeping up with you. Mm-hmm. They're getting decent grades. Um, a few of them are, you, you can tell that if you stop giving them as much attention, they're going to start falling behind. But if you keep up what you're doing, you'll be fine. Yeah. One kid just transferred into the class. Loud, talkative, doesn't understand, does not want to understand, wants to specifically distract everyone else in the class, including you. Yeah. Very disrespectful, does not give a shit. Right. How much time do you spend on the kid? How much time are you going to spend on that kid? And I've been guilty of, 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 of both, of, of extremes in both ways. Yeah. I've been guilty of not giving that kid any attention and making sure that 29 of my students are passing. But then I'm screwing that kid over because I'm not giving him what he clearly needs. Yeah. And then I'm way – and this is – actually, this happened like fucking yesterday um, where in one of my classes, there's just one kid and I spent most of the time of that class period – not entertaining him, but like trying to convince him to learn anything. And I know that that like really hindered the rest of the class. And it, and it eats at me all the time yeah. because there's no way to win. Yeah. And, and that's what Bunny is going through in the, in the last moment. Because it's yeah. not just that it's, two, it's a conversation between two random people. It is the major... Of the district yeah. of police. The district commander. Talking to the most notable and obvious drug addict on the show. Yeah. About. Like so noticeable you... that he is a CI. Right. <laughs> Literally. Um, <laughs> yeah, right. Um, asks him directly. Whenever I gave you the drugs that you wanted, was it worth it? Did you like it? And he can't, he can't give an answer. Yeah. Insane. Absolutely insane. And, I, and, I, and again, similar things happen to me in the classroom where I'm like, what's the best case scenario for you? Is it leaving right now? If I allowed you to go home and told all your teachers that you were going home, would you like to? Would you rather be home than here now that you've been If I the, gave up on you, na, is that na, what you want? Exactly. Now that you've been through the pandemic, you clearly don't want to learn what I have to give you. Do, is there anything you do want to learn? What, what, what can I give you? What is your end goal here? And their end goal is always... And they always say something along the lines of, I mean, yeah, I want to be in school. And I'm like, do you? What do you want, what do you want from school? And they're like, I, I don't know. I just know that I should be in school. I'm like, okay. Then why don't you start acting like it? And then they never do. And then they're like, okay, yes, sir. And that works for that moment. And then tomorrow they come in and are just as bad. Really fast. If you are a utilitarian, you love Bunny. You True. love Bunny. If we're True. talking about like net positive of end. like happiness, yeah. then like Bunny is your guy. But that's the sort of like, but that is the question that you have to ask yourself too is just how do I view my own and the sort of morality that we should be living in as a, as a people, right? As a community, I should say, the better yet. Mm-hmm. Um and that's a, that's a really really important question that 
not only is the show asking its own characters, but it's also asking you. It's just like, well, I mean, they, they put the situation in front of you, so it's only natural for for the show to be asking you, so what do you think, you know? Right, right, right. Especially because it's the last moment you're left with. Yeah. It's and, a question that comes often and uh, at last. Yeah, and so and you get these, like, small scenes, and it's even a scene where it's actually Bubble that's going through one of these zones at night, and not only literally, but figuratively speaking, it's a really dark scene because yeah. it just feels like anarchy is everywhere and everybody's okay with it. Yeah, right, right. I, I am curious, what did you think of it? It kind of made me sick to my stomach in a way. Like, I don't, I honestly... Like letting it happen? Letting it happen and then having that scene, having that scene yeah. with Bubbles walking through it at night and then also having that scene with Bunny and Bubbles at the very end of the season where... It was really good and really nice to see just, like, these older people just being able to walk out of their home and not have to worry. There, there, There is something, you can't describe that feeling necessarily in words where you don't have to worry about what's 180 degrees to you. Yeah. You know, that you don't have to worry about what is behind you right now. Is something bad going to happen that I don't know about? Whether to me or somebody across the street, that's going to affect me directly. Yeah. Is that going to happen? Like, that's that's something that you can't describe fully. And it's, it's, it's really, really difficult to put into words. But then it's still that, but at what cost is this? Like, what, right. is, what is the cost? Like, if we look at it in a sort of economic sort of point of view, the cost is that Hey, you know, in this zone and maybe some anarchy here, but everybody outside of it's really happy. And we even see in the numbers that bunnies like in that district, that crime rate in that district, bunnies district goes down by like up to 14%. Yeah. 14% in like a month or two. Yeah. That is insane. It's the exact same as another. That's hilarious. Yeah. Absolutely insane. Yes. I don't know if it was worth it. And that's a really bad answer to give. No, but I, I mean, I, I understand where you're coming from. But it, but it, it, but I think I think what it does is that it better shows the issue that's really at play. Yeah. Where these people aren't really getting any help in the first place. Right. Where it's so much easier to fall into these vices, to fall into the clutches of these demons. It is so much easier to do that than to do the right thing. Yes. And so, just from a pragmatic point of view. Why wouldn't you do the easier thing? Right. When you can also make more money out of it, assuming that you become a drug dealer. Why wouldn't you do it? Yeah. Because it's illegal? Yeah. Who cares? Yeah. So so, so that so I can get my family with a, like a roof over the head and then maybe some food, some clothing, and I'm able to just sleep at night on a bed? Like something yeah. as simple as that. Why wouldn't I go after that? Yeah. But everybody is telling me, oh, that's a terrible thing. Don't do that. That's awful. Come on, yeah. like the, the, it, it points to the bigger issue, yeah. and it and it com- it foils beautifully to Cuddy's situation where he has to go through just trials and tribulations, literally backbreaking stuff of trying to get this gym off the ground to break this cycle to help others, and yeah, it, it puts me at a loss for words because uh, what this show and and what. 
uh, some characters on the show does is that, like, it's all Buddy's fault. Look at this terrible thing he did. But all of them refuse to look in the mirror themselves and refuse to ask themselves, oh, maybe there's something a lot bigger at play that I can help erase. Yeah. But instead, hey, you need to get your numbers down. And that's the end of that. Yeah. The, the I was watching, um, before I came over here with my family, I was watching The Ozark. Have you ever heard of that show? Yeah. With Jason Bateman. Jason Bateman, yeah. Fantastic show. Um, and there's this scene where, because he's like a money launderer and there's like a bunch of, like, he, he's involved in a lot of drug stuff. He doesn't ever touch the drugs, but it, it's happening around him a lot. And his family kind of gets drawn into it and it's this big mess, right? And so his son, like genius level IQ, but he's asked obviously to keep quiet and he doesn't say anything about like what his dad is doing. He goes to school. And every kid in class has to sign a waiver that says, you know, like, I promise to uh, be drug free and uh, like turn in anyone that I know is um, involved in drugs and or alcohol. Right. And everyone signs it because it's like the kids are like, yeah, sure, they're too bad. And the kid doesn't sign it. Mm -hmm. And she's like, why aren't you signing it? And he was like, I just think it's ignorant. And she was like, what? And he's like, "I, I just think that to say that. Drugs are overall bad is an ignorant thing to say. Like, that's kind of a slippery slope. It's kind of an ignorant thing to say. That means that you don't have a complete understanding of what drugs mean on the world scale. And the teacher's like, "Um, I I don't understand what you're talking about. And he's like, do you know what GDP is, gross domestic product? And she's like, yes, I know this. (laughs) I took economics. Yeah, right, right. And he was like, so... um, there are theories that talk about how uh, the only reason that the world economy didn't absolutely crash after the the um, the fall of 2008 with uh, real estate and the stock markets, the only reason that didn't crash completely and that we're all not in absolute mayhem right now is because of drug money, because that was the only consistent money at the time. And it has uh, served to several um, research and studies and everything that uh, that proves that the only consistent money in the world right now, the only safe money in the entire world in any economy whatsoever on the world scale is drug money. That's it. Not and like the only thing that comes close is tech, but with more with with the rise of viruses and hackers and malware and everything, that's that that's that's a slippery slope too. The only consistent money that anyone is making anywhere in the world is drug money. Period. The world can't survive without it. Especially the American, the American economy. It depends on it, actually, which is crazy. Like it was so badass, but yeah, it makes you really think for a second. Like, oh, maybe drugs themselves are not the issue, and maybe the organizations themselves are not the issue. Maybe, maybe what what got them there? Sure. Yeah. 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 You know? Right. Right. And like clearly, like why have we allowed drugs? Yeah. I mean, to, to to sort of like exactly. ask the question in relation to what you just said from Ozark. How did we allow drugs to be this consistent money-making business when it is so harmful to ourselves? Yeah. Why have we allowed that? It, it's not because we ha- don't have enough police standing on these corners because they're going to find a way yeah. to do it anyways, and we see and it in the show. People are clearly aware, well the fuck aware, of everything that's happening in terms of drug dealing. What... For instance, this is the biggest example I can think of. Whether Bill Clinton knew it or not, in the 80s, the Arkansas government and police force for the state of Arkansas did look the other way, and plenty of people have been incarcerated for it, for the smuggling of hundreds of tons of cocaine 
into America from Central America. Proven. That's actually a thing, and that has happened. And the government, the state government of Arkansas, knew about it. Yeah. They just couldn't put away specific people because they couldn't prove that, like, for instance, Bill Clinton, that's the biggest name, yeah. knew for sure. So it, it, it just, yeah, it raises a lot of questions and curiosities. Yeah. And, and I think it wraps back to the most important question and the question that Bunny has to ask himself when he makes the decision to legalize drugs and put them on these three streets, which is, do you, the only reason that you are catching people that have the drugs and putting them in prison and worrying so much about the people that are dealing drugs yeah. and doing all this while putting all these people, the civilians, in harm's way when you could keep them safe, like you were talking about, by, put, by putting them in these zones. The only reason you're doing all that is because you think there is hope for saving the people that are currently dealing the drugs or in the gangs or in these situations. Mm -hmm. That's the only reason you're doing it. If you ever lose hope or come to, the, come to terms with the fact that they're never going to stop selling drugs, yeah. they're never going to stop doing what they're doing, then the zones thing all of a sudden makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And I th and and that's honestly, I don't know, like in the moment that he said it, and for a lot of the season, I was kind of on Bunny's side. Yeah. I was kind of like, you know what, honestly, and, and me too. For if it's not going, like anywhere, idealistically speaking, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. If if the drugs are not going anywhere, and no matter what you do, yeah. you have an option. And, like, it comes down to this. Dude, either... and it, but the thing was, too, he's looking around his own department, and he says it to Carver in a scene later yeah. on in the season that what he has around him are not policemen. or They're soldiers. Yeah. And they're good for soldiering. Right. They're not good at policing. Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah. It is one of the best scenes this show has produced because of what it's saying right there, and it clearly exemplifies... Oh, that's right. Like, this show does not put cops on a pedestal. It is, no. it is funny. It is a show that is primarily centered around these detectives in this group, these these cops, these good police, bad police. Co-made by a former cop. Yes. Hilarious. <laughs> that what the show does really well, they're all human. Yeah. They're all human. The show doesn't bullshit you about it. I look at this cast list, including the detectives, and it, honestly, especially the detectives. Every single one of those people are flawed, are flawed, fundamentally flawed, have demons clawing at their backs every living second of the day, except for Lester Freeman, except for one person. This entire <laughs> show has one person who I just look at, I'm like, hey, you're a good guy, and that's it. You know, yeah, yeah I can trust in you being a good guy. Yeah. But I look at someone like And Cedric the only Daniels, reason he's a good guy is because he used to be an asshole. Yeah, he said that he's like, yeah, I used to be where you are, but now I'm here and I read the, I, I made the right calls. Yeah, hilarious. What were you saying? Sorry. Cedric. Well, no, but it's just you look at somebody like Cedric Daniels too. Oh, that yeah. that he has demons of his own that that sort of creep up at him, and there there's also something really chilling about that the the lovemaking scene between him and Rhonda Perlman in the final episode. It's just like it felt wrong. I don't know how to describe that scene, but it felt dirty <laughs> yeah yeah well also but, he's just like a very creepy dude not in like a like a you know in, in a sexual way but like he's just very unsettling he kind of yeah. has that rami malik look about him where you're like 
something's always up. Like, yeah. something's, like, the wheels are turning in your head, and I don't know what it oh. is. And I also want to say, like, I believe in the good in Cedric Daniels. True. Right? He's clearly very good at his job. Yes. Yeah, very yeah, successful. Yeah. But there is something, I don't know, I don't know, I, I truly cannot find the words to that one scene, how they shot it. And just the the sounds and the noises from yeah. that scene. Oh yeah, um, I, I mean. don't. There was something oddly unsettling about it, and it was funny because at the same time too that I'm like, good for you, Cedric. Good for you that right. that that you know you are you are pursuing your own desires, and it's you're not being like harmful. Yeah. To anyone. Yeah. Yeah. He's he's not specifically and you're being honest with yourself in the same way because that... he's still technically married to his wife, but they're so clearly separated. Yeah. Um. Kind of mutually, but kind of not, but kind of mutually. Um. And so he pursues his new interests, and I'm just like, I I don't blame him. Shit. No, I don't blame him at all. Um. There was something about that one scene. Yeah. Cannot find the words. It was. Yeah. Sp- speaking of flawed characters, I want to shift to uh mcnulty and kima especially because yes. those are really really interesting characters that changed a lot over the course of the season but i feel like we should maybe touch on that when we come back afterward from our sponsor hello and welcome back to the artenders with mac and dan so where we left off was uh mcnulty and kima that was what our next topic was going to be so yeah. i want to start off with this very point blank question for you okay, okay? we're talking about how mcnulty Obviously has has changed a lot over the over the past couple seasons. Is a very flawed person. Yeah, and is oh, yeah. trying really hard to get better. Kima, there is no been... bigger asshole in this show than McNulty, except for maybe uh, Deputy Commander Rawls. But oh, outside yeah. of that, Rawls is an McNulty yeah. is grade A bleephole. Yeah, and and will has no problem saying what all the assholish things that he needs to say yeah. directly to a person's He's face. literally hell or high water is right. how he operates. Right, which obviously uh, loses him a lot of allies yeah. and puts him in the doghouse a lot. Yeah. So, um, but. so Kima yeah. has been really solid and easygoing. Good police. Awesome police for the past two seasons and a, a good few episodes of this one. Is Kima starting to turn into McNulty? Oh, yeah. I mean, well, first of all, yes. Yeah. Yes. And by the way, yes. Because they <laughs> kind of joke about it, too. Also, really funny season. I want to get out there, too. Yeah. Uh, just <laughs> there are more jokes than you would think yeah. in the season. Because there were that, some funny things that they've said in the past, but yeah. l- less punchlines than this season. Yes. Where there's clear lines where you're like, oh, I'm supposed to be laughing here. Yeah, That's great. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but they joke here, the characters in this season, where Kima is becoming McNulty. Yes. So something really interesting happens in this season. Mm-hmm. Where and the seeds were planted in the second in the second season, at least for Kima, where she is falling into those demons. And we see it we see something break, and we see it really hit at the end of the season, where you see her uh, exploring another body. Let us let's just put it <laughs> let's just put it that way, right? When yeah. she already has yeah. a girlfriend and uh, a daughter. I mean, she has a daughter. Yes. And so, so that's happening. That's happening. Uh, this this woman who is incredible and treats 
everybody with like love and kindness and who but it was who is also tough right she is one of the most respectable people in this show and she falls into that mm-hmm. and then you have mcnulty here once again you kind of see a little bit of season second season but you really see it here in this season and i said it for other characters and i'll say it for him too that he is breaking or at least actively breaking his cycle yeah this season yes it doesn't happen until like the last episode yes but he is looking to break his own cycle and he finally it's one of those few characters where he was able to put a mirror up to himself and say i need to change who i am because i'm not good enough for myself yes yeah yeah, yeah. absolutely and so, yes, so Kima is becoming McNulty. It's going to become the McNulty of the past, right? Yeah. That she is becoming. And so she also <laughs> does the very thing that McNulty did years ago prior where uh, McNulty's wife would call him. He would be hanging out with some other girl, so but he wouldn't pick up. So McNulty's wife would call Bunk, his partner. Ask Bunk, hey, where's Jimmy? Oh, you know, he's actually doing this one thing uh, right now. He's on a drive with a prisoner, blah, 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 whatever. Uh, he's busy right now. Okay, cool. Then Bunk would call McNulty. Hey, your wife just called. I told her this, this, and this. So, you know, thanks, bud. Boop. And that is what we saw happen in this season. Kima, where right. we had Cheryl, which is uh, Kima's girlfriend, I believe called McNulty himself. Yep. And he covers for her. Yep. Because... it's not he's not doing the right thing but he's like protecting a friend yeah uh essentially in a way also not protecting her at all yes (laughs) did you see did y'all see the staging of the uh, one of the first scenes we see with kima and mcnulty at the train tracks oh yeah where they're drinking together much like mcnulty carbon copy of the scene with bunk exactly yeah and And they still do it this season too which is the funny part and the funniest thing is that they went so far with the staging that they even, like, did something that I was like, I'm not even sure that makes 100% sense. Yeah. But it's funny that you're really shoving it that hard, like, like to the forefront that you need me to know this. So, McNulty in, in, that, in that scene in the, was it the second season? Well I, well, I don't know what scene. You the, 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 scene. No, the, the, the train track scene between Bunk and Dude, and that happens, McNulty. like, every season. Okay, sure, right. So, <laughs> um... In one of the versions of the scene, sure. McNulty starts the scene by coming back after taking a piss across the train tracks. Yeah. And at the beginning of this scene, Kima is walking <laughs> <You're> back right. <laughs> so right. after taking a piss across the train tracks. Is it heavy-handed? Yes, but it's probably... It's like, well, was she old... squatting? I'm confused. That's... How else is she going to I mean, I she must. Yeah, but it was just funny. I was like, okay, cool. Was it heavy-handed that Kima was becoming McNulty? Yeah, because they had clear visual illusions as well as characters literally saying, hey, you're becoming McNulty, right? Right. Was it heavy-handed? Sure. But it was probably like the only heavy-handed thing, really, that was going on in this true. season. So true, true, it kind true. of, we kind of can let it slide. Yeah, like, and, and they need to be a little heavy-handed because it wasn't the center of really yeah. any episode ever. And we haven't really seen that progression yet, right? Because when, when we hear Kima's becoming McNulty... You would think to yourself, oh, we are, we've already seen that with McNulty. But no, we've never, we haven't seen 
the McNulty of the past become the McNulty of the present. I was about to ask. And what we're seeing right now is McNulty exiting as exiting the present into it, like his new future self. Right? His season four, Jimmy. Yes. <laughs> but we haven't seen that transition of past to the present for McNulty. While we are actually getting that progression for Kima right now yeah and so it plays back to what i'm saying for a lot of these characters that they all have demons and some of them are good people but at the end day they're all just people and we should never forget that i'll be very interested to see if they make jimmy into bunk into bunk just this tired old detective kind of yeah doing his job yeah but even bunk has his own demons too and when you see in the first season what it's actually this really funny and really not good, but funny scene. When I say not good, I mean morally speaking, where he, we don't see it happen, but we know that he goes out with this other woman. And then Bunk's wife calls Jimmy later that night. He locked himself in the ba- bathroom. He needed to go get him out and talk to him. So Jimmy goes over, opens the doors of the bathroom, and Bunk his, is burning his own clothing because of the smell on them. And then Bunk said, because he's so drunk, he says, I'm burning the evidence. You know, you can smell them. It's it's too bad. I have to do it. I have to get rid of the evidence. Do you not remember this scene? I think I do. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I remember the fire and I remember Bunk being so drunk. I, I totally forgot that he, that yeah. the wife even called him all that stuff. But but it's, it's still to this, what I think the season does really well. That we're seeing a lot more characters become flawed yeah it's not so much navigating out of their flaws we see a good amount of characters entering some of their flaws yeah and it does create a really nice juxtaposition for characters that are already in flaws exiting them as in jimmy mcnulty yeah that i think his it finally hits him in the season where Oh, I need to change. And it really gets to me in the scene between him and B.D. Russell, which B.D. Russell was a major character in the second season, Mm. did not appear at all for the third season, was mentioned a few times. Jimmy thought he saw her at one point, pulled up to a car, yelled, B.D. Russell, and then it wasn't B.D. Russell. And But then she is in a scene at the very end of the final episode with Jimmy, and sizzle serve it's the best scene i think but Mm. i'm only saying that really because it's my favorite scene yeah but i think it's the best scene and it's like what jimmy says and i'm paraphrasing here but he says something along the lines in relation to himself of i pour everything into a glass and there's a hole in it and it's 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 also him realizing his own mortality too yeah where like, what am I this, doing? Like, he thought to himself, exactly, where he thought to himself, this case defined me. Yeah. Who I am is this case. And once he realized that, once he actually clocked that, where he wasn't anything more than his work, then he was like, oh, I need to be more than just a person. I mean, sorry, I need to be more than just this walking and breathing robot that works in this uh this department yeah i i need to be a person um and i think what's funny is that what leads to that realization i think partially too is 
and I'm actually really happy that the show did this, uh, was kill Stringer Bell. Yeah, we haven't even talked about that yet. So, I really, so, I'm, well, listen, listen, listen. You really get used to shows putting plot armor on characters. Yeah. And I really had plot the sense. Plot armor. Yeah. That's funny, yeah. And I really had the sense that Idris Elba's Stringer Bell was going to be there until the, the end. very end. Yeah. Right? Where, like a flash in the pan, Brother Muzone and Omar take him out and he's gone. Yeah. Because Avon sold him out. But it didn't feel, it felt justified. That death yes. felt justified yes. in the storytelling of this show. Yes. Where it did not feel like shock value, even though, of course, naturally, there was. But it wasn't for the purpose of shock value. No. But it was the sort of, it was for the purpose of the overall storytelling that Cuddy was experiencing, that Jimmy will experience, that you can die any second. And so in those moments, when you have the barrel looking straight at you, when you're asking yourself, what was I really doing it for? That's something to think about. Yeah. And so Stringer Bell's Bell's death led Jimmy to his own self-discovery of who the hell am I? And it leads to a very funny moment where Bunk, or I think it was Kima, tells Bunk uh, how Jimmy took it. And Kima says, like he lost one of his kin. Which is insane because he... Jimmy hated Stringer Bell. Wanted to get Stringer Bell so bad. But that was it. That his MO for these past... Not really season two, but really for these past three seasons was taking down Stringer Bell. And the fact that he couldn't made him realize, oh, that was what defined me. But that shouldn't be what actually makes me whole. Yeah. Um, And so this thing that I thought made me whole, this thing that I thought I was pouring into a glass... This glass this entire time had a hole in the bottom of it. And I'm actually nothing. Yeah. Um, but it, it provides this really human realization that I, I watched that scene and just the little bit of nuance from Dominic West's acting and just, just hearing like the little bit of crack in that voice mm-hmm. when he's saying it to Beatty. And he says in the end of that scene too where uh, he doesn't want to drink with Beatty but at least right now at that at that time of the night that he wants to go and meet the kids like there was like thinking about it i'm not getting teary-eyed but behind the eyes i'm getting teary-eyed like it just it it messes me up when i love watching when people are flawed and they realize that they're flawed the moment they realize that they're flawed and they say to themselves i'm nothing right now but i want to be better yeah. And there's something outrageously human about that that not a lot of shows visit. Not a lot of shows visit. And this show visits it very briefly in, in, in terms of that scene and in terms of that character very briefly, but so eloquently and so articulately put, it could not have been done more beautifully. So McNulty specifically, that's... Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I, I, yeah, I... I understand where you're coming from for sure. I talked a lot. No, 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 no. no. <laughs> I, 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 want, I wanted to give a little bit of pause because I felt like it was, it was deserved. Um, I mean, I yeah. genuinely love that scene because, like, when Kima got shot in the first season, the emotion that's coming up in you as the audience is, oh no, oh no, oh no, oh no. But it's a very different emotion that's coming up from you when between the Beatty and Jimmy scene, where oh my god, you know, like oh shoot, like he's. A person, you know? Yeah. 
Yeah, and you're you're right that most shows don't really take a look at that in that way. Most of the time, it is someone did something bad. I hope they get their comeuppance. Yeah, you know. But yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah or, he really and so many cop shows that like this person's good. End of story. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Or maybe they have like one tiny flaw about them. You know, just like one little thing and just like a little knife in them. You know, yeah. but it's just a little bit. It's not gonna like stop the show or anything. But you know, but like it feels like. The, the flaws of these characters are a big part of the storytelling of this show. Yeah. Not just the storytelling of the individual characters, but what the show is trying to say and do as a whole. And that's that's the difference so far that I've seen with this show Yeah. in comparison to others, right? I've never seen, I, and I don't think I'm being hyperbolic here, I've never seen an ensemble this strong in both performance and in writing. Yes, yes, I, you know? I, I can totally understand that. I, yes, one hundred percent, I can understand that. Um, Dominic West is a Brit, by the way. I know. I didn't even know that. Which is funny in the second season where he does this really bad British accent. Yeah. And so then I think to myself, how would I even do a really bad American accent? Like that's right. that's that's that takes a lot because. To- he, <laughs> He's doing a Mel Blanc sort of thing, or Mel, Mel Blanc was a voice and cartoonist for a lot of the Looney Tunes, oh, right. where he, if I'm not mistaken, did Bugs Bunny like as Daffy Duck, and then he did Daffy Duck as Bugs Bunny. Like, How oh. would you even do that? Oh. Like, how do you wrap your mind? That takes mind? a minute to think about, yeah. And so the same thing with that, and at least in the second season, where he's... Being this very brief undercover, where leads to this oh, very yeah. funny moment where he's he's just having sex with uh, two of these prostitutes and he he can't like he's it would be technically I guess considered sexual assault, but he's just like I, this I this is what I signed up for, um, and and but but as this very phony American, yeah, but it's this British actor who is. Playing an American, a phony American, phony Brit. He's this British actor playing an American, playing a a bad British accent guy. Yeah. Uh, we we don't talk about Dominic West enough, which is funny because I mentioned in the last segment how he's his, he, if there was a main character, it'd be him. Yeah. Um. And it's mainly just because he's been tried and true. Yeah. He's been consistent and good. Yeah, in terms of, in terms of the performance, and yeah. in terms of like the character storytelling too. That, yeah, I mean we we get a lot of him, and it's not because there's not a lot a lot of hot takes when it comes to McNulty. No, but but it's like, just well done. Yeah, storytelling. Yeah, yeah. Um, at, at the end of the day, and you you're talking about the uh, flaws of each character and everything, and I I couldn't help but notice that that's li- just that's that's the definition of realism. Yeah. That's it. Yeah, and that is what sets yeah. this show apart is that. Um, they do not care about, uh, they don't care about entertainment. Yeah. They care about truth. Like, that's, that's the MO of the show. And the MO of the show, too, is not, it's not telling you, like in CSI, NCIS, uh, Hawaii Five-0. Yeah. Uh, uh, Blue Bloods, like, Law and Order, that those are shows that are telling you this is justice, as opposed to this show asking you, what is justice? Right. That's a very that, good way of putting it. We saw it. that in the first season. We we saw that too in the second season. We really saw that in this season. Yeah, this this season feels most like the show. 
if that makes any sense. Yeah. It feels like m- the, the the most representative of what the show is trying to be. And, I mean, we, we even see that whole realism thing in the development of Kima. All of Kima's big moments where you see actual change happening in her is just her sitting at home yeah. in silence. Yeah, and spiraling down her own misery. Yeah. Yeah, and, and that's that's the highlights. Yeah, and she and she's just like Kima. staring at the TV, and it's yeah. like like a five second shot, and then that's it. That's but all. But you know do. what's so good about that storytelling too is that all, as the audience member, you're like, oh no, oh no, Kima, yes. no, yes, exactly, Kima, no. That you, you see get her five seconds of her just blankly looking at the television by herself with a beer in her hand, and immediately you clock it. You clock like, it. Oh, yep, that's the look. That's it. Because some of the things that this show does is a little bit heavy-handed, but most of it is they don't spend too much time. They spend just enough time, and it's the perfect amount of time for you to get what this scene, what this moment is trying to tell you. Yeah. Uh, it's it's incredible. This is uh, definitely... Like, I mean, it, it'd be unfair, once again... To compare it to the first and the second season, but it's what we have to go on, and it's only natural for us to compare because it's its own product in a way in this overarching story. Um, but I think it's safe to say that this is the strongest season, easily, because of how much further characterization yeah is explored for everybody. I mean, hell, we we even got a scene with Bunk and Omar. Very similar in terms of the breaking the cycle thematically where Bunk is going to Omar and and is trying to get some information from him and ends the scene with, look, there are kids right now who are looking up to you that are that are posing as you and that are doing these mock fights and mock shooting at each other. And so I thought what made us, you and I, that we went to the same high school, a community was that when somebody died and was on the street, that we would stick up for them and we would do something about it. And now you are becoming a whole new problem that you need to realize and that you're better than that and you need to stop it. Yeah. Uh, oh, and, God, and I forgot about that. That's such a good scene. And it's just beautiful storytelling. Yeah, yeah. In that one scene that it says so much about the stakes for Bunk and the stakes for Omar. And, and another thing that's awesome about the season, um, and, and, and this is the last thing that I'll, I'll say on this, yeah. is uh, not only is there conflict, inner conflict, um, th- things of that nature, but it's also that we actually see uh, repercussions. Mm-hmm. But not just hear about them, we watch them happen. This is the very first season where... Because like, even whenever Frank died in season two, it was shocking and you saw Nico like, oh no, but, yeah. uh, but, but he had to act really fast. In this season, everyone, and not, not just like one or two people, not just the police force or whatever, yeah. whenever people died, it actually hit people this time. Which was beautiful. Yeah. We got an entire episode where Omar didn't do anything because he was too busy mourning one of the people that accidentally got shot. Yeah. That's awesome. That's, that's fantastic. And as long as you have an episode that there is still moving story going on behind that, which there was. Yeah. 
it's successful. It's very successful. And that happened several times, just like you said with Stringer. You saw Jimmy actually deal with that, not just hear about it or like that changes how he is later. You watched him in real time have to process that. Yes. 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 When you, I mean, I, I think we both said it before too. When you see a character work through a process, yeah. or you see a character have a discovery, you freaking kiss the floor right then and there because that that's going to be some of the best moments yes. in, in story yeah. that you're going to get in that piece of media. And the awesome thing about The Wire is that overall, whenever those moments come up, they're, it's cool because you can tell that they know that that's a moment. Yeah. It's not Both an accident. Both in the writing and in the acting and in the sort of like direction of the scenes. Yeah. But they don't tell you that it's a moment. Yeah. They don't say, hey, look over here. Yeah. They just let it sit. Yeah. And there's no music in this show. There's no yeah. music backing in the show. And they've done it three times in a row now where the, really the only proper music Backing for like a scene is the very, very last sort of montage. Yeah. Um, outside of that, oh, yeah. there's next to no like underscoring yeah. in scenes. Maybe you mentioned it before, like songs playing in the background. Sure, but still. On, like on the radio, right? But Which is interesting, but that's that's not that's not gonna save an actor. Yeah. But and but the show is trusting its own work. Yes. It's trusting its own writing. It's trusting its own actors. Not now, not to say and not to sort of uh, put under the bus of musicians, um, especially uh, composers, because I, I know as sure as hell I can't do that stuff. And there are, there are so many things that need composers. Yeah. Right? I, I But I think. I'd only, say 99% of the things yeah, I'm saying. And the wire is the exception. Yeah. Um, because of how it's structured that you said it yourself it is so enveloped in realism that having the music would actually kind of take you out yeah um that not having any sort of music actually keeps you in those individual scenes more because of how uh it it sounds kind of uh cliche but how authentic and real but the the decisions that they've made have led to have aided, like you said, them making the most realistic show possible. Not just the genre of realism, but realistic show possible. And realistic in the sense of what these characters go through, right? Yeah. Like we talked about that maybe Bunny doing this experiment, maybe that's not so real. But then again, we're also living in a pandemic. Like, so like, what is real? You know, but (laughs) we don't know. We don't know. Uh, but what these characters go through are very real things. Yes. So incredibly real. And that is where this show succeeds. And that's where this season succeeds so much that uh, it was it was just continuing this story that it's already set out to do. Yeah. And just really just cooked it more like a nice yeah, piece of sure. steak on a grill. Right. right. You know? So, Danny Lavelle. Yeah. Uh, what are you looking forward to most in season four? And who are you looking for, uh, hoping that you see in season four uh, the most in terms of arc? 
I have no expectations, which is just wow. the worst answer to give on a podcast. But, sure, but that's but the, great for you, though. But the reason why I have no expectations, just like now I have like full trust in the show. Sure. Which is funny because after the second season, I'm like, what's going on here? Yeah, yeah. Uh, even though I still enjoyed it, but I was still like, what the hell's going on here, guys? Uh, but after this season, I have like full trust in the show that I don't really know what's going to happen. And I'm excited about that. Yeah. That I couldn't possibly tell you how things are gonna go from here that maybe it'll follow some of marlo's things yeah I, but like really i have no damn clue uh i'm just happy that there is a season four like yeah. and i'm i'm gonna start it tomorrow like good, that, good. and just because <sighs> it's great it is sometimes words are tough no it's fine it's and fine. it's you know not not the greatest time to lose words but i my point being Damn. <laughs> what about you, Mac? Um, I would say I'm I'm really excited to see uh, Stringer and D fight in the afterlife. Um, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> no, no. Um, I would say uh, I am specifically excited about um, McNulty. Yeah. I, I'm I'm excited to see where he goes now that it's finally going to be a different McNulty than we've seen for three seasons straight. Yeah. Um, I'm excited for. Uh, Kima, just because I like that actress and I hope that she gets more stage time. Yeah. Um, screen time, not stage time. It's Party okay. foul. Um, and I actually really hope that we keep money around. I know that we're probably not going to, um, mm-hmm. but I hope that we see him. I hope that we see some of the one-off characters uh, that come feel back. like season characters. Yeah. Yeah. Like Nico, lovely actor. I want to see him back. I want to see the Greeks back. Yes. I, I I would I would love to see the fact that we got a scene with BD Russell had me grinning I was about to say, Russell. from from ear to ear. Yeah, yeah, love her to death. She's a great actress and yeah. earned and earned her role. Oh. Um, yeah. yeah, and and I I hope that we see some um, people come back that we earned a lot of space with. Yeah. Um. So, with that being said. Yes, sir. Next week, next week we have a very special episode. It's always special, isn't it? It has to. Well, yes, it's always special, but it's it's our thirtieth episode, yeah. So number thirty. Yeah. So this is what we're gonna do. Rather than tackle a season of a show, I'm going to make you watch an entire series. Okay. Four seasons long. Rick and Morty. Oh Christ. We're doing it. We are doing Rick and Morty, okay? All right. We're going to do it, and it's going to be good, and I, I promise it's going to be a good time. Not only is it going to – because this is my only warning for you. After the first two seasons, you're going to be like, ah, this stupid shit. Because I've seen the first either two or three seasons. Right. What I didn't realize is that they were actually teaching us about the characters because if you don't remember the first two seasons – because at first you're like, ah, it's just a fun, stupid show. If you don't remember everything that happened the first two seasons, three and four don't make any sense. And it makes you go back and watch the first two seasons. And then you're like, wait a second. Is this show actually, like, secretly smart? Yeah. Is this secretly doing doing that something? That they were purposefully having these building blocks. Or at least already the, using what they had. All of these dumbass moments were actually really solid storytelling moments? Yeah. What the heck? And uh, yeah, and so so we will talk about it on the next episode. Oh thank you, Danny, God. so much for an awesome episode. And thank you guys for listening.